Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 16, the end of Luke 16. It's a, uh, it's a familiar passage. It's a familiar story to some of you probably. Um, you know, the title, it's probably old at this point. I don't know that anyone does the whole hashtag blessed anymore. And if they do, they do it in a more ironic or sarcastic way. Uh, so in July, uh, a tree branch the size of an oak tree fell on our car when we were in Cleveland uh, for uh, our niece's wedding shower. And so that would have been a good time to take a picture of our car with the rear window shattered out and say, hey, looked around, went driving through the town. This is all true, by the way. After the storm, not another tree branch fell in the entire town. Only the one that landed on my car, on our car. Hashtag blessed. Uh, but the reality is that it started as like a semi-real thing. People would do that humble brag, the whole like, oh, I can't believe I survived the eight-hour flight to Fiji, hashtag blessed. Or, you know, the pictures of the waters or the pictures of the mountains or the sunset, just the things that, that come into our lives and we say, I'm blessed. We are blessed. It's a blessing. This, this passage... This story that Jesus tells, tells a story of two men's lives, one of whom, at least in the first century uh, Palestinian Jewish person's mind, was obviously blessed, and the other was obviously cursed. And the interesting thing is that as we read this story, in the 21st century, American, many Christian lives, when you read these two lives stories, these two men's stories, we make those same assumptions that one of these men is blessed by God and the other is not. But Jesus' point in telling the story is to ask you truly which one is blessed. So if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is Luke chapter 16 beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. 
But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So if some of you were around back in 2019, uh, in the summer of 2019, we did a, a summer series through the parables. Not all of the parables, but we, we picked and choose, picked and chose. Pick and choose. Picked and chose. Anyway, we picked some parables to preach on and, uh, and this was one that, that I had chosen. So I preached on this uh, back in 2019. And when I did, I was, at the time, very convinced that I had chosen well. That I had chosen one of Jesus' parables to preach on. Uh, a parable... As some of you know, a parable, like parable literally just means to cast alongside. So it's to take something and then something completely different, but then compare them. So say, this is like this. So a lot of parables, Jesus opens with that very statement. The kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out to sow his seeds. I mean, the kingdom of God isn't the sower, it's like a sower. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that you might plant in your garden. Or the kingdom of God is like a garden that you might plant good seed in. Or the, the kingdom of God, other times he doesn't necessarily say that phrase, the kingdom of God is like, but the very description shows that he's saying, here's a parable. So when he says, uh, there was a rich man who who had an who had a a manager who wasn't doing well. You recognize it's it's not the kingdom of God is this rich man, but it's like that. Or when he says there was a shepherd who lost one of his sheep, or there was a woman who lost one of her coins, or there was a man who had two sons. They're all obviously parables, or at least they, they're taking what is true in the kingdom of God and saying it in a way 
that uses everyday pictures and, and information to, to, to compare the two. And so what we have in this, though, then technically can't be a parable. First of all, because the parable would be the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God. See, so so living on earth and then going to heaven is like, I don't know, it's like living on earth and then going to heaven. So it's not a comparison. It's actually just a statement. It's a it's an illustration for sure. It's an example. But it's a direct illustration. It's saying this is reality. Now, whether these two men, whether Jesus is simply reporting something he knows has actually historically happened, or he's simply giving an illustration of this is a very real reality of what could happen. Uh, That isn't really that important. But it is important to know that it's not a parable. Jesus is saying it isn't like this. Life isn't like this. This is life. This is what life is. What we have in this passage is, is two men and two men's lives. They have one thing in common, and we are supposed to take away many truths from this. I mean, it's definitely a gut check, like parables often are, but it's a gut check from the reality of life. Like who, which of these two men before their death would you have said, this man is blessed? This man is blessed by God. And most of us, before their death occurred, before we got insight into the rest of their lives, would have said, obviously, the man with all the stuff, is blessed. Because that's the goal in life. The goal in life is to die with the most stuff. To, he has arrived. He has, he's made a name for himself. He has made it. Look at the description of this man. The four things that we learn about this man. First of all, we're told he's clothed in fine, in purple cloth. His his clothing is purple. Now, if you're not a purple person, that probably doesn't like not, that doesn't really strike you. But at the time, purple cloth was the most expensive cloth you could you could buy. Uh, purple, the purple that you made that you dyed the cloth with came from this shellfish that that you could only get one drop of dye out of each shellfish. And so it was this extravagant cloth. And so you might accessorize with purple. You might have a a purple scarf, or you might might have a a purple sash. or But, and and even rabbis, eventually, they would say that, like, your prayer shawl, your, your prayer, your prayer clothing had to have at least one thread of purple in it show that, you know, you were blessed. Uh, This guy didn't accessorize with purple. His wardrobe was purple. He wore purple clothing and fine linen, not just his outer clothes, 
he didn't just have the purple Armani suit. He had silk boxers. Like, he wants you to know how wealthy he is, that he describes even his undergarments. They were of the finest linen. Like, he, he made sure that, that you could see the tags on his undergarments so that you knew how much he paid for those undergarments. He didn't, he didn't go to Amazon Prime for these bad boys. They were, they were special made just for him. This is how well he's doing. He feasted sumptuously every day. Literally, the, the word feast is the word that the prodigal son's father uses to describe the celebration. He says, kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate. We must feast. It was a special occasion. This man feasts every day. Every day is a special occasion. Just being me is worth a celebration in this guy's mind. And then it's it's a little more subtle, but... When we're told about the poor man, we're told that he's cast at the rich man's gate. So this man, uh, gates were usually just for towns. So if you were wealthy enough that your very own house was its own gated community, you had really arrived. This man doesn't have to go to the gate of the town. Like He has his own gate. So he's got the purple suit. He's got the the great BVDs. He's got a feast every day and he's got a gate. Like he is blessed. He has everything. And then the four things we learn about the poor man. First of all, he was laid at the rich man's gate. It's a passive word. He didn't go to the rich man's gate. He relied on others to even bring him to the rich man's gate. He needed to be laid there. He wasn't necessarily uh, a cripple, but he was definitely, his poverty was such that he was, it, it had struck him even to the level of health. His lack, he needed others. He completely relied on others to even take him to this rich man's gate. And of course they would take him there. Why not take him there? That would be the smartest place for him to be, is outside this rich man's gate. Whereas we're told all about the clothing of the, the wealthy man, this man, we're told that he's clothed with sores. He's covered with sores. His, his very skin screams need and poverty and lack. We're told he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. It's still... This passive language, it doesn't even, it doesn't even say that he was fed by the crumbs of the rich man. It says that he wished he could have been fed with the crumbs from the rich man. And even dogs came and licked his sores. And this isn't like the, the sweet, you know, your puppy, your household dog coming and, and licking the, the grease off your fingers. These are these are the wild dogs who would roam the streets, who often uh, got into carcasses and into 
other dead things so that the dogs themselves were unclean ceremonially, not just hygienically, but ceremonially they were unclean. And then they would lick him. He doesn't even have the strength to shoo these dogs away. So he's both physically and ceremonially unclean. This is how bad off he is, how not blessed he is. Like everything about these two men are, are, are exact opposites of one another. But there is one thing that I left out that I skipped over on purpose. One thing that is different between the rich man and the poor man, at least in the telling of the story, that is the key to the story. What, what is one major difference between the rich man and the poor man? The poor man has a name. The poor man doesn't just have a name. The poor man has a name that is known by God. And that is all the difference. In fact, the poor man's name, Lazarus, it's the it's the Roman version or the Latin version of Eleazar. So like Jesus is the Roman version of Jeshua or Yeshua or Joshua. Lazarus is the Roman version of Eleazar, which means helped by God. Now, if we didn't learn early on who had that name, if we were just told these things about these two men and then said one of them is helped by God and one of them is unknown to God, like our natural tendency would be to say, well, obviously the rich man has been helped by God and this poor man is unknown to God and Jesus is saying it it could not be more opposite than that. This poor man is known to God. Now these two men do have one thing in common, don't they? What do they have in common? And it's actually what all of you have in common with them and me. What do we all have in common with these two men? What's that? Yeah, death. Death. As Macbeth put it, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Or in the words of the writer of Hebrews, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. The writer of Ecclesiastes says the wise dies just like the fool. He says what happens to the children of man 
happens to the beasts of the earth. We're not even better off than the animals. Since time began, at least since the fall, the mortality rate of the human of humankind is 100%. Every one has died. Everyone. Even the Son of God. Even the Son of God becoming man died. And I know some of you, your Bible scholars, you're clicking it off and you already, you've already thought of two. You're going to tell me on your way out, aren't you? You're going to say, oh, well, now, Pastor Bailey, Enoch, Enoch did not die. And Elijah, they did not die. Okay, so let's, and I apologize. That's what you sound like when you correct me on your way out. <laughs> but let's remember, there are a few who died twice. Like, other than Jesus, every other person who was resuscitated from life got to do it all over again. Like, we don't, you don't ever hear about that, do you? You don't hear about the, the widow's son comes back, oh, and then seven months later he died again. You don't hear about, you know, the other Lazarus. You know, we know that he comes back, and it's like, oh, but you know what? He got to do it again. And so we're actually... It's worse than 100% because there are more who have been resuscitated and then died again than who were caught up to glory without dying. So the mortality rate of human beings is worse than 100%. It's like 100.7, 100.2. But it's, it's, it's up there. You are going to die. And this is not a passage on the wickedness of wealth. So this unknown man did not go to hell because he was wealthy. Any more than Lazarus went to heaven because he was poor. Lazarus was saved because God knew him. In fact, the man's issue isn't even his wealth. His issue is is his ridiculous lack of concern for anyone else in his life but himself. There's apparently a man laid at his gate right outside his home every single day and he never saw him he completely neglected him he did not care you know one thing i mean certainly not what this illustration is about but certainly we should be asking ourselves who is right in my face that I am neglecting. Husbands, are you neglecting your wives who are right there in front of you every day? Wives, are you neglecting your husbands? Parents, are you neglecting 
your children, these 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 souls that have been entrusted to you? Are you recognizing that God has brought them right to your doorstep? And there's just there's too much. There's just there's too many things. There's too many things I still have to acquire. I mean, the sin of of the rich man is his his complete trust in self and in stuff. I mean, consider the things that that Jesus has been talking about. And this rich man, like he nails like he is he's oh for five or oh for four on everything Jesus has been talking about just in the last just in this last chapter. Jesus says, listen, use use your unrighteous wealth to at least care for those who could then welcome you into eternity. Jesus told a parable about that. And and does this man do that? No, in fact, he's not welcomed into eternity. Jesus says. He says, uh, you can't serve. You can't serve God and money. This man lives that out because he has chosen to serve money. Jesus says, you need to be faithful with your unrighteous wealth if you're going to be entrusted with anything else. This man is not faithful with his unrighteous wealth. Jesus says, what is exalted among men is an abomination to God. The world would look at this man and say, he's arrived, he's got it all. And God says, it's an abomination. You know, in Exodus, you have this the picture of God's people being saved. And before he saves them, he, he goes and he talks to Moses. And he says, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. And he says, I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that what? So that they may what? Yes. The word is worship or serve. Maybe you've seen it that way. Let my people go so that they may serve me. In other words, you are a false. You are a false master, Pharaoh. And I, I am coming to save them from the slavery they are under with you so that they can then serve me instead. And and almost all of the Old Testament, especially like the Exodus and the wanderings and is like all we see is picture after picture of people being like, oh, well, can't we do both? Like, can't we just go back to Egypt? And they forget how awful their lives were because they don't get some of the same things. And and, you know, like, you know, you've forgotten how bad life used to be when you wish you were eating leeks and onions. Like when you're like, oh, those were the good days when we could eat leeks and onions. Like if you haven't eaten leeks and onions, like that's that's been a long time since they've eaten those things when they're thinking that would be yummy. But it's just this attitude of like, I'd I'd, I want God, but I still want like to serve 
these other things because I feel like like that would bring me some satisfaction. God says, saving you from that. I'm not saving you so that you can serve these false masters better. I'm saving you from these false masters. Some things to... Uh, that we just kind of see in this passage and are reminded of. Uh, we've already talked about one. Death is inevitable. You are going to die. And you will either be die you will either die known by God or not known by God. And death is irreversible. Like from once death occurs, that path is set. Like there's no changing courses. There's no opportunity to change course, in fact. Uh, we learned from this illustration that death is personal. You remain you even in death. I mean, Lazarus continues to be Lazarus. Even this man unknown is exactly the man he was before. You can even see it in him. Like his like his his path of self-centeredness and just self like I don't know, self-worship just increases in hell. It doesn't diminish. Like if do you see the weirdness of this guy? Like he still thinks that he is above Lazarus. He still thinks that Lazarus should be serving him. He says, "Hey, Father Abraham, it's it's really icky down here. Send send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue." It's important for you to realize like Like sometimes we wonder about what is hell going to be like and is it going to be full of people full of remorse and who who want to go to heaven but now it's too late and it will not be. This man is not looking for forgiveness. He's not looking for he is looking for temporary relief for, from some physical if anything, he's looking for relief from the consequences of his sin. That's all he wants. Just just bring me some water. You notice the wording, like this chasm that's between, like it's there so that no one who wanted to could cross over to help you. And he doesn't say, and no one who wanted to could cross over from you to us. He just says, and it, it's impossible anyway. Because there isn't anyone. Nobody in hell wishes they were in heaven. They just wish it wasn't so bad. You know, Psalm, Psalm 116 says, uh, precious, precious in his sight is the death of his saints. Like your death is precious to the Lord. Isn't it a beautiful picture 
the description of Lazarus's death. When Lazarus died, angels came and bore him to Abraham's side. He was immediately carried and cared for in the same way that somebody cared for him enough to deposit him before the gate of the wealthy man. Even more caring, the angels came and carried him to Abraham's side, bore him to glory. It's a wonderful thing to know that that we can be known by God. It's an awful thing to think that God may not know you. It's interesting that the rich man asks if he can't get a drink of water, at least send Lazarus, still his lackey, will send him to my brothers. I have five brothers, and they need to hear about this. Like the unspoken is, I didn't get a chance. He's He sort of sounds concerned about his brothers, but it's still a, it's not my fault. It's definitely the Lando Calrissian Han Solo, it's not my fault. They told me they fixed, like, he is still in complete denial that he has done anything wrong. He says, well, at least send him to my brothers so that they can have the opportunity that I never had. And Abraham won't even hear that. By the way, Abraham, a little side, this is why we can honestly say, oh, it's wealth isn't evil. Like, Abraham was insanely wealthy. In his life on earth, he was he was so wealthy that like the Egyptian pharaoh gave him stuff. He he just he was so wealthy that when his nephew got into trouble, he could stand up an army of 300 and fight five kings just out of his servants. So Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. It's not the wealth. It's it's not Rich people are bad and poor people are good and Jesus loves Marx and so should we. It's, it's where is your heart? Is your stuff, as we talked about two weeks ago, are you, are you using stuff to serve God and others or are you just using God and others to get more stuff? But, uh, here, Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Moses, the writer of the law, the prophets, this is already, again, Jesus had already said, you know, it's in the law and the prophets, the kingdom of God has been testified to in the law and the prophets. Here's Jesus saying, you had all you needed. Your brothers have all they need. It is God's word is enough. You don't need some big, fancy, great experience. You need to open your heart to the word of God and hear what God is saying to you from his word. And he says, no, but but if, if someone would rise from the dead, then they would listen. And that's the, isn't that just the amazing, like the two-pronged thing that, that Abraham says to him. No, if they won't listen to the law and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone should rise from the dead. You know, obviously the readers of Luke, they're like, oh, 
like they already know the end of the story. Like someone is going to rise from the dead and people still didn't believe. But not only that, but there was another man named Lazarus, as we talked about that, that Jesus did raise from the dead. And do you know what the Pharisees response to that was and the priests response? To plot his assassination. They weren't moved by the resurrection of this man, this this resuscitation of this man from the dead to to repent and turn. They were moved to kill him. To put him back where he belonged. If you are not. Like if we we so often we're like, I need something more. I just I need something more. I need God to show up. I need God to just show me. I need to feel led. My pastor in Raleigh. He always threatened to like keep a like a buckshot in his pocket. So when people said that, he could just pull it out a BB and just stick it down in their pocket and say, here, now just whenever you need to feel led, just right there, just rub that. Now you feel led. Now, what does God's word say to you? Maybe maybe God is speaking to you. I don't know. In the same way he's been speaking to God's people all along through his prophets, through his word. God's word is clear. It is appointed to each one of us to die. And after that, to face judgment. Does Jesus know your name? As as it said in our, our meditation verse that. That you have a name that's been given to you by Jesus if you belong to him. And he will proclaim that name in heaven one day. If you do not know that to be true. Don't don't leave today. Without hearing from God's word to come. He is calling you by name. He wants to transport you to heaven on the day you die. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. We are not saved by our wealth or our lack of wealth. We are saved by you knowing us, calling us by name, calling us to yourself, raising us from the dead. Jesus, would you blow your spirit of regeneration across our hearts? Awaken us to our sin, to our self-centeredness, to our self-reliance. Help us to come to you in repentance and faith to receive from you forgiveness and a new name. In Jesus' name, amen.